It is Huskies hate week here on the Locked on Zags podcast as we discuss this Washington team before Gonzaga's first true road game of the season on Saturday. What do they need to do to leave Seattle with a victory? We'll get to it on today's Locked on Zags. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Prize Picks. Folks, go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college, use that promo code locked on college, and you'll get a first deposit match of up to $100. Prize Picks, it's daily fantasy sports made easy. Well, folks, we're closing out the show and the week discussing Efton Reed getting his eligibility to play at Wake Forest. We're going to discuss him and the three other Zags who have transferred but are still playing college hoops. Give you an update on how those four are all playing. But the big meat of the episode today is about the Washington Huskies, Gonzaga's opponent on Saturday evening, December 9th. The game will tip off at 8 p.m. Pacific time. So for those of you who are East Coasters, I've met a a New York Gonzaga fan who who talked to me at the game on the USC game in Las Vegas. 11 p.m. start for you, buddy. That's going to be late. You got to get some coffee during the day to be ready for this one. This game will be on ESPN2. Uh, the nightcap there after a really tremendous day of college basketball games on Saturday across the country. The Zags are 13-1 and against the University of Washington since 1999. That is in the Mark Few era. They are on a seven-game winning streak right now. Their last loss to the Huskies was in 2005. Shout out Brandon Roy for being on that team. That was an epic battle between Brandon Roy and Adam Morrison, both drafted in the top 10 of that draft. Love, love me some Adam Morrison, but very glad my Blazers ended up with Brandon Roy in that draft. Regardless, the series ended for about 10 years, was picked back up in 2015. Then some really close games. Rui Hachimura had an incredible game winner against this team, I think in 2018 or yeah, I think it was 2018 for that game. Uh, Very, very close contest there, but ultimately Gonzaga has maintained a seven game winning streak again, dating all the way back to 2005. This is going to be a true road game for the Zags, their first true road game of the season. Uh, We don't see Gonzaga play too many true road games in the non-conference slate. Uh, We don't see a lot of premier programs play a lot of these road games. They often play neutral site games like Gonzaga is playing with UConn this year. Of course, that'll be in Seattle, which is advantage for Gonzaga. But next year, that game will be at the Madison Square Garden. Should be a fair amount of Zags there, too. But man, UConn's going to really pack that place. I like those neutral site games, but obviously it's always nice to play true road games. It's good for experience. It's good for the younger guys to kind of get through that. We'll get a little bit more into that later in the show. But This is also likely going to be a quad one win for Gonzaga, of course, should they win. We don't want to make that assumption. This is a good UW team, but this is a quality game on Gonzaga's schedule. And if they're able to win it, the fact that it's on the road will help with that net ranking and just kind of the overall resume building for Gonzaga, which hasn't mattered a ton in in the recent past, uh, but might matter a little bit more this year just because the WCC has been weaker uh, than it has been in the last half decade or so. Let's meet this Washington team. They are five and three on the season right now. Their wins are over Bellarmine and Northern Kentucky, uh, also UC San Diego, Montana State. So not 
Super great wins there. They do have a win over Xavier. Now, Xavier has not looked fantastic this year, if we're being honest. They have not looked like the, they're certainly not the same team they were last year when they were a three seed in the NCAA tournament, but they're a quality program, and that's still a quality win for the Washington Huskies. Their three losses, uh, it's going to look bad. They're all three to Mountain West schools, which certainly isn't what you want. If you're the Washington Huskies, those losses are to Nevada, San Diego State, and Colorado State, but it is worth acknowledging that San Diego State and Colorado State are both top 30 teams at Ken Palm right now. Nevada is 43rd, but they are also undefeated. So those are three really good teams. I think the three best teams in the Mountain West, Boise State, is in that conversation as well. Uh, but obviously, if you're Washington, you want to have at least one of those games, potentially two of them, especially as San Diego State lost to UC San Diego, one of the teams that Washington has beat some weird transitive property nonsense there going on with the Huskies. But uh, this team is still well appreciated, well liked by Ken Palm, as much as you can be liked by a computer system. Uh, they started the season preseason. I believe they were 78th. I know they were in the 70s because Yale and Washington were both preseason in the 70s. And basically every other team Gonzaga played was either top 30 or outside the top 200. But UW is now up to 58. So they have climbed up in the rankings. They are in that kind of range where you would be at least considered uh, for at-large consideration. Certainly three Mountain West losses, even to good teams, is probably not going to help them. If you're UW, what's really going to help make your resume pop is beating Gonzaga. So this is a big, big, big game for the Huskies. It's also a nice game for Gonzaga. Again, should be a quad one when all is said and done. Always good to pick up a road victory if they're able to do so. Ken Palm also has... UW as the 61st best team offensively, according to his adjusted offensive efficiency numbers. They're 72nd in defense, so top 75 team offensively and defensively, and in tempo where they are 48th. A little unusual to see UW significantly higher in terms of tempo than Gonzaga, who is at 81st. I think Gonzaga's tempo will eventually move up as they get out of playing some of the teams that have really uh, attempted to slow them down in ways that I think a lot of WCC teams will either not attempt to do or will not be successful at doing. Gonzaga obviously has uh, at least two games against St. Mary's, one game against San Diego State. Those are all teams that kind of like to slow the pace down a little bit as well. UW still coached by Mike Hopkins. He's still there. Jim Beheim may have retired, but Mike Hopkins is keeping the legacy alive. They are still running a zone. Now, they're not running it as much as they have in the past. But I was at the Colorado State-Washington game. It was the game right before Gonzaga-USC. They still run it. From just eye testing it from watching that game, it seemed like they ran it about half the time. I don't know the exact figures for this team. Certainly expect a, a healthy mix of both zone and man defense. Uh, and this team still doesn't really have much of an offensive identity. That's been kind of one of the criticisms of the Mike Hopkins era at Washington is they, there's, they run some flare, out, flare options, uh, but it's a lot of isolation basketball. Uh, it's a lot of kind of swinging the ball around, trying to get an open three. There's not a lot of offensive identity. Uh, I think it's part of the reason they've had a couple of Kentucky transfers in recent years, and it's partly because their offense is a bit more free-flowing, a, a bit more allowing you to, to isolate and attack the basket, which I think some guys who come from Kentucky's program like to do. And, and that has really paid dividends. Keon Brooks, in particular, best player for UW. And it's not particularly close, although they have a very talented starting lineup. Uh, Brooks is a six foot seven, fifth year senior. He began his career at Kentucky, was productive there before transferring to Washington. This year, he's currently averaging 20 points, eight boards, two assists, 
shooting about 35% from three. That is a significant career high for him, the best shooting season he has ever had, uh, at least he's had in a Washington uniform. He's going to be an absolute load for Gonzaga. I think Dusty Stromer uh, and potentially Anton Watson are going to get cracks at him, and he, he's going to be – stopping him is going to be a big key for the Zags. They also had three big-time transfer portal additions. Moses Wood is a name people will know. He spent the last couple of years at the University of Portland. Uh, really lit Gonzaga up at the Child Center last year. We'd have talked more about it if Julian Strother didn't also drop a 40-burger in that same game. Wood is averaging 10.5 points, about five boards. He's only shooting 31% from three, but this is a kid who can really light it up. Uh, he did it against Gonzaga last year. He did it against Colorado State. I think he had 16 first-half points against the Rams last week. Uh, six foot nine, stretch four, who can really shoot it. He's going to be somebody that Gonzaga is going to need to watch. They also added a pair of point guards in the portal in Severe Wheeler and Paul Mulcahy. Both guys are averaging over six assists per game. Wheeler coming over from Kentucky, 16.1 points, 6.9 assists, also 3.7 rebounds, which is impressive considering he's one of the shortest players at the power six level, also averaging one and a half steals. He's not a great shooter. He's never been a great shooter. He's frankly never been that great of a score, even though he is averaging 16 a game. He's more of a distributor, uh, 45% from the field, only 24% from the three-point line. Stopping penetration, not letting him drive and dish, which is what he is elite at, is another key for Gonzaga in this one. Mulcahy comes over from Rutgers, graduate transfer, does a little bit of everything, the kind a guy you'd like to have on your college basketball fantasy team if you were into such a thing. Uh, 8.6 points, six, 6 assists, 4.7 boards, a little over a steal per game. He's only shooting 44% from the field, but he is a little under 36% from three. He was a target for Gonzaga in the transfer portal. Would have been a really nice late addition uh, if they were able to snag him as their third guard, but he goes to Washington where he's starting, where he's again averaging six plus assists per game. Uh, beyond that, Washington also has a pair of front court players who are each over seven feet tall. That is something that Gonzaga hasn't seen a ton of, of teams that have that kind of size and length in the front court. Frank Kepnag, Kepnang, excuse me, the transfer from Oregon who sat out last year with an injury. I think he played a few games and he, they suffered an injury. He's back, played about 17 minutes per game, seven points, 5.8 rebounds, and one and a half blocks very high levels of production, especially for a guy only playing 17 and a half minutes per game. They also have Braxton Mia, a transfer from Fresno State, was very, very good last year. Hasn't been nearly that same caliber of player this year in part because he's only playing 10 minutes per game because he consistently gets in foul trouble. In those 10 minutes per game, he is averaging 5.3 points and 3.6 boards as well. Two very big guys in the block are going to present more of an issue for Gonzaga's front court players than they have really seen outside of, of course, Zach Eady and Joshua Morgan. Very good shot blocker for USC. Adem Bono is great at UCLA, but that team just, that, that whole game just turned into a foul fest. So it's a little hard to, to gauge the post, post defense in that one, but UW should present some challenges for Gonzaga's front court in ways that they haven't seen much of yet this season. So what does Gonzaga need to do to leave Seattle with a W? We talked about a few of the keys already throughout that conversation, but we got five more big keys to talk about, including what Gonzaga needs to do in their zone offense. We're going to get to that and more all coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Prize Picks. Folks, Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead you to big payouts like their Taco Tuesday deal. Every Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide you with all you all with even more value. Plus with Price Picks reboot policy, your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for NFL games and college football bowl matchups, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and they do not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. 
This is unprecedented in the daily fantasy sports space. Prize Picks is the only DFS platform with this injury insurance. Beyond that, the app is just really easy to use. All you do is pick two or more players and choose more or less with whatever given stat they have. In the spirit of it being Husky Hate Week, we got 228.5 passing yards is the more or less mark for former Washington quarterback Jake Browning, who now plays for the Bengals. They're taking on the Indianapolis Colts, led by former Washington State quarterback Gardner Minshew. Mind you, if you want to kind of join in on the Husky Hate Week Brigade and go less for 228 and a half passing yards for Browning, feel free to do that. I'm doing it in solidarity with all of you. So go to pricefix.com slash college now. Use that promo code LockedOnCollege and you'll get a first deposit match of up to $100. Again, that's pricefix.com slash college. Use that promo code LockedOnCollege for a first deposit match of up to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy. Folks, want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zach's your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out those everyday listeners. Shout out those of you who have joined our Discord channel. Again, it is free to join. We're talking not just Gonzaga basketball, but we're talking about other college basketball games, matchups, how other players are doing. We're talking about the women's basketball team. We're not talking about NBA Zags, literally all sorts of conversation in the Discord channel. Again, it is completely free. There's a link in the show notes. Just click that. You'll be invited in. Get to hang out with us. There's about 270 folks in there right now talking Zags and college hoops all day long. All right, let's get into our five keys to victory here for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Again, those of you who are everyday listeners know that for every episode that is before a game, we do either the five things I'll be watching for or the five keys to victory. Sort of depends on the quality of Gonzaga's opponent. Don't necessarily need to do a, these are the keys for Gonzaga to beat Arc Pine Bluff. No disrespect to the Golden Lions, just wasn't necessarily what we needed to do. For UW, especially a road game against the Huskies, there are certain things that Mark Few's program is going to need to do or not do in order to make sure they come out of Alaska Airlines Arena late on Saturday night with a W. And it starts with that zone. Again, we're not sure how much UW's going to play the zone. It's possible this ends up not being a huge factor. Maybe they throw it at us a few times after a timeout to try to you know, throw Gonzaga off. Maybe they play it for an entire half. Maybe they don't play it very much at all. It's really hard to know what they're going to do, and that kind of makes them a challenge. However, if we do see the zone, Gonzaga needs to run their zone offense, and they need to shoot UW out of it. That's the biggest thing, capitalize on their zone defense. UW, again, they're not running it as often, but I think they might try it against the Zags. Gonzaga is a good low post scoring team. They thrive on ball, side, side to side ball screen actions. They thrive on getting the ball into Graham EK, uh, you know, swinging the ball around the post until he gets the around the uh, perimeter, excuse me, until he gets his position, getting the ball on the block, letting him go to work. Zone makes that harder. It forces Gonzaga to do something different. It forces Gonzaga to rely more on their outside shot. If I was defending Gonzaga and I had the ability to run both defenses, I would probably try a zone. Make Ryan Nemhart and Nolan Hickman beat me from deep. If they do it, great. I'd rather that than let Graham E.K. just cook me in the post. So I suspect we might see something similar from them. If that's the case, throw Anton Watson the top of the key in that zone offense. Let E.K. roam down on the perimeter. Let your three guards with Dusty Stromer play out on the perimeter and just go to work that way. Watson is really a key here. 
his ability to make good decisions with the basketball, make good passes, evaluate whether he should turn and face and, and try to score on somebody, shoot a little floater, kick it back out to a shooter, whatever it may be. If he's played in that middle spot in the zone, the soft spot, as they call it, and he's able to kind of direct the offense from there, that's going to make UW probably have to think twice, especially if he's able to kick it out. Nemhard's hitting threes, Hickman's hitting threes, Stromer's hitting threes, the way Dusty's been shooting it lately, the way Hickman's been shooting it lately. This could be something that UW is out of their zone within the four minutes. They're in it, they're out of it, they're saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to try man because this is not working. If they're able to do that and build a lead by hitting threes over the zone, that's going to make it even harder for UW to get back in the game, and it's going to create a situation where they're going to have to play their man defense, which they may not be as comfortable doing. Key number two, win the battle on the glass. Always important when you're playing teams that play zone. Typically, teams that play zones are not good at rebounding, but UW is a top 60 rebounding team in the country. They average 40 boards per game, 12 of them on offense, which is pretty good, and 28 of them on defense. This is a good rebounding team. We talked about Mia and Kepnang both being seven-footers, big big guys. Keon Brooks is 6'7", as their three. Moses Wood is 6'9", as their four. This is a big team. They have a lot of size. Paul Mulcahy is their shooting guard, basically their second point guard. I think he's 6'6". So Vita Wheeler is very small, but everybody else is pretty darn big. So this is a team you've got to rebound. Gonzaga's big too, and you've got to out-rebound them, especially if they're in a zone, crash the offensive glass. Yes, UW does like to push the pace and get out in transition. And trying to crash the offensive glass could allow UW to run it out. That's a risk I think you take. If it was up to me, that's a risk I'd be willing to take. Try to punish them by getting second chance points. Gonzaga is a good offensive rebounding team. They're a top 30 offensive rebounding team in the country. If that leads to a few fast breaks, maybe you reevaluate your plan, your thought process there. But I think if I'm Gonzaga, I want as many second chance opportunities as I can get. You also got to limit that for UW. UW loves to drive into the paint. Uh, they love to put up little shots like around the rim, Brooks, Wheeler. They're going to be getting into the into the paint. They're going to be putting up tough contested shots in the lane. They're not going to make most of them. You've got to not let them get that second chance, though. You've got to get that rebound, even if it prevents you from getting out and transition yourself. you got to prevent them from getting those second chance opportunities. Key number three is forcing turnovers and getting out in transition. Both these teams like to push the pace. Both these teams are very capable of pushing the pace. But UW averages about 12 point, a little over 12 turnovers per game. So they pass the ball a ton. Again, they got two guards who average over six assists per game. They're passing the ball a lot. They, they do play a lot of isolation basketball. They do drip. They are a little bit dribble heavy, but they are also distributing the ball. And for Gonzaga, a team that has played the best defense we've seen from them in probably a half decade or so, the ability to knock the ball loose, have those active hands on defense, uh, either play the passing lanes or just strip the ball when guys are trying to drive in the paint, that leads to easy fast break points. Transition buckets on in a road environment are critical. It silences the crowd. It gives you easy points. Every time you're in your half-court offense, it's going to be loud. It's going to be buzzing. UW's going to be able to set up their man or their zone defense. But if you get a steal, strip Mulcahy when he's driving to the hoop. Same with Wheeler. When those guys are kicking it out to somebody like Wood or Brooks on the perimeter, knocking that ball away, getting out in transition. Easy buckets that way, easy way to build a lead, uh, easy way to kind of force UW to have to be more careful with the basketball. Forcing turnovers and getting out in transition, always important for Gonzaga, always important in any game, but I think really valuable in a true road environment as well. Key number four, get UW in foul trouble. I touched on this a little bit in the first segment, but I'll address it more here. Frank Kepnang and Braxton Mia, excuse me, are two very, very foul-prone bigs. 
using per 40 minutes is always a little bit misleading, but these two guys are, are not playing huge minutes. So I think it, it helps accentuate why they're not playing big minutes. Braxton Mia in particular is averaging nine and a half fouls per 40 minutes. He is basically unplayable for more than 15 minutes a game with the rate at which he is currently fouling. Frank Kepnag is averaging seven, 7.2 fouls per 40 minutes. Not as bad, but again, there's a reason that these two guys who are highly productive from a points and rebounding perspective are both playing less than 18 minutes per game. They cannot stay on the floor because of foul issues. Gonzaga's got four bigs. They got a couple bigs who are real good at drawing contact. Bram E.K. in particular, very good at drawing contact, playing through it, scoring through contact, but also getting to the free throw line. He's also been very good at converting from the free throw line. Anton Watson, not so much. Frankly, I'm okay with Watson taking a bunch of free throws in this game, even if he only makes them at a 50-something, 60-something clip. Love if he was, you know, 8 of 11 from the free throw line. That would be great. But even if he struggles, if it forces them to get into their depth, to play a big that's not Kepnong, that's not uh, Braxton Mia, some other guys who aren't as good, who aren't playing big minutes this year. That's really valuable for Gonzaga to be able to exploit those mismatches, going up against third-string bigs, scoring more easily. Huge advantage for Gonzaga if they can force this UW team to play their depth because the starters or or the the key rotation guys are in foul trouble. Key number five, first time we've had to use this one this year. You got to tune out the noise. It's a road game. It's a road game against a crowd. It's 8 p.m. on a Saturday night in Seattle. This place is going to be popping. It is going to be loud. It is going to be raucous. It is going to be full of people who have been consuming beverages for many hours before they step foot in Alaska Airlines Arena. And that's going to be an absolute blast. But it's also going to be a first. First for Dusty Stromer. First for Braden Huff. First for June Sakyo. The veteran guys, you know, Watson's used to it. He's been here before. He's been on the road before. Ben Gregg is used to it. Graham E.K. is used to it, although not as a Gonzaga player. Ryan Nempard plenty used to it in the Big East at Creighton. But it is new for many of Gonzaga's players. And that's going to be key. Dusty Stromer does not strike me as somebody who is going to play poorly in that kind of environment. In fact, he's probably going to play be the opposite. He strikes me as somebody who plays up in that environment. But this is still a new thing. And I think that that is always a key, whether it's getting out to an early lead and kind of quieting the crowd that way, whether it is taking away transition opportunities for them where they could potentially throw down a dunk and really get the crowd going, uh, anything like that. Just being able to play calm collected, not let the environment, not let the noise, not let the the momentum uh, really impact you. That's It's something that Gonzaga is going to need to learn because they're going to need to be at that spot in March when every game is just complete chaos and loud and thundering. You got to be ready for that. These are the kind of games that make you ready for that. So how Gonzaga handles it is something I'm going to be watching very closely in this game. We got some former Zags to discuss closing out the show and the week here on Locked On Zags. Efton Reed, he had a double-double in his first game for Wake Forest after getting eligibility, he's been playing or he he has been watching his former teammate at Gonzaga, Hunter Salas, and his current teammate at Wake Forest play extremely well. We're gonna talk about those two guys, Dominic Harris, Umar Balo, all that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what helps keep your ride or die alive. And eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and to level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. And with over 122 million parts to choose from for your ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for. Plus, with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or you get your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices that you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home a W. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply, and eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers. All right, folks, let's close out the show and the week here. We're about one month into the college basketball season. Most teams have played eight or nine games, and I thought it'd be fun to take a look back at the former Gonzaga players who are all still in college basketball getting opportunities to play at different schools. We're in the transfer portal era. Gonzaga has historically not had a whole lot of players who have transferred out of the program. It is a rarity. It is a testament to the Mark Few's ability to identify players who buy into the system. Uh, it's his ability to continue to convince players to stay, to wait their turn, whatever it may be. Uh, obviously, transferring was more difficult in years past. It is easier to do now. And we saw a, a fairly big exodus last year. Three players left the program last year. Dominic Harris, Hunter Salas, Efton Reed. First time that's happened, it was some wonkiness due to Gonzaga. You know, roster building is hard right now. They didn't know if Rasir Bolton was going to come back. They went out and signed Malachi Smith, expecting him to replace Rasir Bolton. Rasir Bolton decides to come back for an extra year. Suddenly, you don't have very much depth or you don't have very much space for your backup guards to play. That created a situation where Salas and, and Harris didn't get the playing time they wanted. They leave. Totally understandable. Efton Reed, replaced by Ben Gregg, became the fourth big, decided he wanted to go somewhere else. And let's start with Reed, because Reed followed suit to go join Hunter Salas at Wake Forest in the ACC. He's from Richmond, Virginia. Many felt that he was going to go to VCU, which is located in Richmond, Virginia. Instead, he goes to Wake Forest. He applies for a waiver as a two-time transfer. He started his career at LSU, transferred to Gonzaga, then now transferring again to Wake Forest. I... To be honest, I did not think he was going to get a waiver approved. I am happy that he did. I am happy for him. I am happy for his family. I'm, I don't particularly care how Wake Forest does, but I'm happy for them too. Why not, right? Um, and I think a key part of this that needs to be said, because I know there are some people who, who don't think Efton should have gotten his waiver approved. Mark Few, in particular, something he did not have to do, wrote a letter to the NCAA in support of Efton Reed. Coach Steve Forbes talked about this recently. He said, direct quote, he did not have to do that. This is something that they didn't ask him to do, but Mark did it on his own. It's a smart thing to do because you want other players to feel comfortable coming into your program. And if there's a player who's like, ah, I want to go to Gonzaga, but I'm afraid it might not work out, whatever. You don't want to see that coach being somebody who's like, oh, like, I hate when players leave my program. And not that Mark would ever say that, but if they're demonstrating that that's not really something they approve of or whatever, it could lead to players being more hesitant. In this case, players are going to be like, yeah, I'd love to go there. I'd love to play for that guy because no matter what happens, he's got my back. He's supporting me. And I think that's the valuable lesson that Mark Few was able to kind of express by doing this. Efton also just knew he wasn't going to play much. I mean, he he got relegated to fourth big because he didn't play. He, he got outplayed by Ben Gregg. Simple enough. That's what happened. Team brings in Graham E.K. He saw Braden Huff every single day in practice and probably thought, man, I'm not sure I'm going to get to play. So he left. I don't really blame him. 12 points, 14 rebounds, two blocks in his first game for Wake Forest. He's 4-13 from the field, so kind of a rough shooting night for him, but He's going to contribute. Wake Forest, two seven-footers have not played well this season. Wake Forest is like 330th in the country in rebounding. They're one of the worst rebounding teams in the country. You get a seven-footer back suddenly in the middle of the season, 
great news for them. Happy for Efton, hoping to have, hoping to see him have a very productive season. Speaking of productive seasons at Wake Forest, Hunter Salas, eight games so far with the Demon Deacons. Uh, he's playing about 36 minutes per game. Wow, he was not going to get that kind of playing time at Gonzaga probably ever. Although you know, with th- this year, the way the guards are playing, you never really know. But Salas has been the guy we thought he was going to be. For those of you who listen to the off-season podcast, I appreciate every one of you. Uh, Hunter Salas, we talked a lot about what his role might look like at Wake Forest. Wake Forest has brought in multiple transfer guards in the last couple of years who have immediately succeeded. Tyree Appleby was ACC Player of the Year. He was a transfer coming over. Jake LaRavia was a first-round pick in the NBA draft. He was a transfer who joined Wake Forest. Now, Hunter Salas, eight games. He's averaging 18 points, three boards, 2.1 assists, 1.1 steals. He's shooting about 53.5% on two-pointers. But the big thing, 43% from three. This is on six attempts per game. Six attempts per game for Hunter Salas, the guy who was not a volume shooter at Gonzaga and wasn't an efficient shooter at Gonzaga either. He's about 26% during his two years at Gonzaga. Now he's out shooting 43%. Awesome for him. Fantastic to see him get a lead guard role. He's still not a distributor. Gonzaga kind of wanted him to play point guard. They didn't have anybody who could play that point guard role last year when when Hickman wasn't doing well. Salas, that's not his game. That's not his game. You can see it in his numbers here. You can see it watching Wake Forest. He's not a point guard, but he's playing really well as a shooter, as a scorer. He's still a great defensive player. He didn't fit in at Gonzaga with what they wanted to do. They didn't have minutes enough minutes for him last year. Now he's out somewhere else and thriving, and we got nothing but happiness for him, and hopefully he'll have a fantastic year in the ACC, potentially be in that conversation uh, as transfer of the year, newcomer of the year, maybe even uh, in that first team, second team conversation. Uh, Next up, Dominic Harris. Kind of touched on him a little bit already, just in terms of the guard play last year. Dom's playing for LMU right now, stuck in the W or stuck around in the WCC. Nine games for him. He's coming off the bench, but he is playing 25 minutes per game, and he's been their leading scorer. I'm not. I'm not sure if Coach Stan Johnson's going to move him in the starting lineup if they like the way that it is. I've watched a little bit of LMU this year, not a ton, uh, but he's averaging 14 points per game. 4.2 boards, one and a half assists. He is averaging two turnovers. Again, similar to Salas, not really a point guard. Not distributing the basketball the way that a point guard would. Not really facilitating their offense. Uh, More turnovers than assists, but that's not, I'm not trying to knock on him. He's just not a point guard. And again, Gonzaga needed a point guard last year. And I think that kind of points to some of the, the reasons those guys didn't get the minutes necessarily is they didn't fit what Gonzaga needed, but that doesn't mean they're not successful. Similar to to Salas, Harris is shooting the crap out of the ball. 47% on threes. He's also in the exact same rate, 6.1 per game. Six attempts per game. He's shooting just under 50%. Would love to have that three-point shooting for Gonzaga, but uh, understand why he moved on. He's getting a much bigger opportunity to play for the Lions. Going to be quite the matchup when these two guys get to go at each, or when these two teams get to go at each other uh, and Dom gets those opportunities to play against his former school. Uh, He's also going to be a legitimate competitor for WCC Sixth Man of the Year, assuming he does not step into the starting lineup, although I am sure our guy Braden Huff is going to have some words about that as a potential sixth man of the year candidate himself. Finally, we got Umar Bala, the only one of the transfers who did not do it last year. Bala has been in Arizona for a couple of years now, following his coach, Tommy Lloyd. We don't blame Umar for moving on. They were bringing in Chet Holmgren. Drew Timmy was a monster. They had Anton Watson. Bala saw the writing on the wall, figured he wasn't going to get a ton of playing time at Gonzaga. Lees follows his coach, Tommy, to Arizona. Last year was incredible. All Pac-12 performer, Pac-12 most improved player. 
and he's not quite that guy this year. He's played seven games. He's only playing 20 minutes per night. He was about 27 and a half minutes last year. So his playing time has dropped considerably. And with that has been some of his production. He's still averaging 12 points and six boards. He's still shooting 65 and a half percent from the field. He is a been a horrendous free throw shooter, 37 and a half percent. I had to look at that a couple times to make sure that was the correct number. Uh, it's obviously early in the season. That will probably come up. Hopefully he doesn't finish the year sub 40 percent, uh, but not really surprised that his numbers are down a, a bit. They're playing him less. They have more depth in the front court. Kishad Johnson has been a huge addition for Tommy Lloyd and the Cats, but happy for Umar to have the kind of success that he's had. Uh, happy for Tommy Lloyd a bit begrudgingly because that looks like a really good team. Uh, we're happy for Tommy, but we certainly want to make sure that that trophy comes to Spokane before it makes its way to Tucson with that national championship. It's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On Zags podcast and for this week. Uh, looking forward to a fantastic game on Saturday evening. If you want to chat during, before, after the game about what we're seeing, again, join that Discord channel. That link is in your show notes and it is free to join. Uh, we'll be back on Monday recapping that UW game, previewing that Mississippi Valley State game before the rest of the week. We're getting ready for the big one Friday night against the UConn Huskies. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, as always, go Zags.